In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Gabe, how are you, my friend? I am incredible. I am loving that. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. I can't wait to get into your story. And now I'll hit you with my loaded question, which is one of my favorites. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Uh, What inspired me continues to inspire me. It's I want to live out my greatest purpose and potential, and I certainly could not do that in a cube. And uh, after 10 years of trying, I realized I'm going to have to set out on my own if I want to fully grow into the man God created me to be. And uh, that's what wakes me up every day. I continue to do that. And real estate just happens to be a vehicle in which we do it. That's amazing. Yes, you're like a real estate king, and I'm so pumped to get into that story. So, So walk me through your career a little bit. Where did you really start? My background is in finance. I have a handful of finance degrees, an undergrad degree, an MBA, and then a second master's all in finance. And that's where I headed out of undergrad and studied and worked corporate finance, I should say. Actually, I worked corporate finance. I worked investment banking. I worked sales and trading. I did a whole host of different things over the course of 10 years, none of which I liked. Although I'd gone to school for it, I kept trying, kept trying, just hoping something would stick and uh, nothing did. And then 07, 08 came and I was let go twice in 18 months by no fault of my own, just market conditions dictated that they had to trim the fat and I was the fat. So I said, okay, I need to be a master of my own destiny. I need to control my destiny. And the only way I could do that is as an entrepreneur. And that's when I forayed into entrepreneurship and out of corporate. Interesting. So you did this in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. 2008. And then I say we, my first business was in the food service space. So I launched a restaurant in, I want to say 2010. So between 08, 09, I transitioned out of finance and into food service. That was around the same time that I was with my two restaurants too. That's so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. Like like 2000, 2010 ish, 2013 ish. And then kind of kept them for a little while. That's so weird. That's so, that's so cool. So wait, question for you. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think I wanted to be what all kids want to be, like all those firemen, policemen, all that stuff. I think reality, like we're dreamers as children, but then the real world hits you and your dreams start to take shape. They start to look more like your parents' dreams or uh, or your neighbor's dreams or whatever the case is. So my dad is a first-generation builder, works with his hands, learned all the trades and didn't want us to do the same. And so there was that push at home to go to school, wear a suit. That's what they define success as the guy that went to work on the train wearing a suit every day. And so that's what I did. You know, it wasn't about what I wanted to be anymore. It was about what like the world wanted me to become. And so I tried it, you know, I gave it a go for 10 years. 
I feel you on that. So when I went to undergrad, you know, my parents, it was like the same thing, right? Because my parents had their restaurant since I was 10. And so they would grind out, you know, 12, 13 hour days religiously. And they also too define success as going to the office and, you know, living that kind of life, having security and having some freedom and, and all of that. But they had, you know, they don't know what that's like. You know, I, when you said cube, I was like, I remember that prison cell. I was like, I was just there for internships. And I was like, this is not my thing. <laughs> Everything is gray. The carpet is gray. The computer is gray. The desk is gray. The ceiling is gray. It's just meant to stifle creativity, put you in this yeah. silly little box. And they just want you to process. You're just a cog in the wheel, right? They, they don't encourage creativity like we do now, you know, in our world now, the more creative you can you can be modeling a deal, financing a deal, the better, the, the more successful you'll be. You'll be rewarded for creativity in our world now. And in that world, you're just not. No, you're not. And I'll tell you, when I had this internship, I literally, I got yelled at because I was an intern and nobody was participating. So there, you know, I started to participate because I was like, everyone wants to be silent. And then I got yelled at. They're like, Pam, you're an intern. You're not supposed to say anything. I got a B minus in that internship because I was too ambitious. Literally, that's what she told me. Because when I asked her, I was like, why don't I have an A? Like I've been here, been participating, got all my work done, like never late, actually stayed longer than I was supposed to. Like you said, it stifles the, cre- the creativity and the, like the ambition. She's like, yeah, yeah, you were just too ambitious. You know, we would give you things to do. You would just finish them really quickly. And then, and I'm like, this is, are you serious? <laughs> we call that an A player. In our world now, we call those A players and we hire them at all costs. <laughs> like, yes. Back then. That, so similar. This I wear purple. I wore a purple shirt to the cube farm and uh, was reprimanded because gentlemen only wear white and blue shirts. That's what my boss told me because I wore a purple shirt one day and oh. I just the writing was on the wall. I knew I didn't belong in corporate finance or in financial services early on. And I, I would go back to school to convince myself that I was working towards something else and that it would get better. And so I would go and I'd get my MBA and then two years, then I'd go back for another degree, another two years. And all the while knowing that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing for work, I was happy learning a growth centric guy. So going to school and learning was what was keeping me going uh, over the course of that decade, because it certainly wasn't the work. Right. And I mean, being caught in that I it's just interesting like the immigrant mentality right I I feel like that's where it stems from where it's like this is what success looks like and it's like now you know I'm reading stats that you know in the next 20 years social security could be depleted I'm like yeah I was like yeah so how's that going um with with that planning you know I'm like can't rely on that you need different streams of revenue you need to keep life rolling so in your journey going from food service to the real estate world walk me through that super exciting because I went through the same shift and I'm like interested to hear yeah. How yours was. I owned and operated the restaurant alongside my partner for four years. We ultimately came to the realization it was a, call it a luncheonette, right? Like we served the corporate business crowd in this particular area from 11 to one. So we generated all our sales in two hours. The balance of the day, we didn't serve. We, we really just bled overhead. So essentially this place couldn't feed two families is the realization we came to. And it was either we're going to sell a chunk of equity and we're going to roll out the franchise because we had built it like a franchise. We had built it to be repeatable and scalable, Mm. or we're going to hold on to this thing and it'll only ever serve one of us. We ultimately decided collectively that we were going to flip a coin and one would buy the other out. And then we would do with the concept of what we 
saw fit, whoever stayed behind. And so I don't know who won or who lost, right? Like he stayed, uh, I sold my share to him. He ultimately ran it for a few more years and then sold it. And then I transitioned into real estate. But honestly, real estate is just a vehicle for me. It's food service is a vehicle. It's, it's a widget. Like I love the business of business. Real estate happens to be the legacy wealth creation vehicle and has been forever. <laughs> so uh, I'll always have real estate in my world, but I'm also doing daycare, right? Like we have e-com, like you and I were talking about, we're in crypto. We do a whole host of different things. I just love the business of business. And once I transitioned into business full-time with food service, that was the start and I was hooked. That's awesome. That's awesome. And in real estate, so when you first stepped into it, what, what did you do in the beginning? My story's not unlike everybody else's. I started with a cosmetic rehab did everything wrong. It turned into a full gut before I knew it, right? I was standing in this fully gutted out shell wondering what the hell happened. I was going to do a kitchen and two bathrooms. And all of a sudden I'm in this gutted out shell, which turned out to be a blessing because it forced me to learn on the fly. And the market at the time commanded a full gut rehab. That property in that particular location, the highest and best use was to fully refresh it not just to do a cosmetic. So we were rewarded for making mistakes essentially. And so, yeah, that was our first deal. It was, uh, I think we did like 82K on it or 86K on it. And that was it. That was, I saw then that if you're going to do the work anyway, if highest and best commands a full gut or an addition or new construction, you have to be willing to push and do what the market commands for that particular parcel. And that changed everything for me. I, I was no longer looking for lipstick projects. I started looking for big stuff. Mm. So everything you said sounds familiar. <laughs> I, um, oh man, I stepped into real estate, not knowing anything about anything. I, I hired a coach and thank God, like he guided me through because I didn't know anything about construction. Like I'll never forget one of my electricians came in and he's like, Oh, Pam, do you want a flush mount fixture over here? And I like, didn't know what he meant. I was like, hold on a second. I got to take a call outside. I'm like, I go outside and I'm like Googling flush mount fixture. Like, what is that? And I went back in. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks good right there. <laughs> You're like flush. Wait. Is that for toilets? What are we talking about? I, I, I was like, why is he talking to me about flush? Exactly. I was, I was so lost. I mean, it's just so funny what you learn in the beginning, but then once you get the hook of like flipping and seeing that kind of dough, like a year's salary for somebody, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. like, you can't stop. And that's exactly how I started too, was one flip that changed the game. And then you're mm -hmm. like, all right, now I want more. Yeah. And then you layer on more, like there's a lot of guys and girls that started flipping alongside me. At the same time, I was also immersing myself in the local REI network and mm -hmm. going to these monthly meetups and talking to other investors. And I made a conscious effort each time I showed up every month. If I'm going to sit across the table from the same group of people, I better have something different to say. I don't want the same static intro for months and months and months. Right. So I would come in and say, yeah, so I tested for my uh, license or I wrote three offers or we got a contract. You know, each month I made a conscious effort to have something new to bring to the table. And that started to look more like one deal turns into three deals, turns into six deals, as opposed to those folks that continue to show up and either they're not doing anything and they think that they're investors by virtue of the fact that they sit around other investors. That doesn't make you an investor. You have to buy something to be an investor. Or then they just do one at a time and then they do one, they finish that. Now they start the search for the next one. Then they do that one. They finish. Then they start the search for the next one. That's not the way to scale out of your W2. If that's your goal, 
You know, if, if your intention is to get out of your W-2, you're not going to do that doing one deal a year. Right. Amen. And and it's interesting you mentioned the REI networks because mm-hmm. there it's like I would go to that for months and mm-hmm. then I would hear the same people like, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait to start flipping. I can't wait. And it was like, I can't wait to start investing. And, you know, you would see the same stagnancy the whole, you know what I mean? Like the whole time. And it's mm-hmm. like you get stuck in this, like, you know, when you're looking over like a cliff or like, you know, you're you're like, you're like at the diving board by the pool. You're like, it's too much consumption, not enough execution. You know, you sign on for like a fortune builders mastery program and you pay 50 grand and then they inundate you with so much stuff in that, uh, in that online document repository, you open it and it's just like thousands of files. You can spend years in there going through all those files and never do a single deal. You know, you have to get around people that are taking action, JV with someone, do whatever you got to do to just get in the game, write a check, even if it's a small check as an investor on someone else's deal, something, get active. And and I just knew that. I just knew that I needed to get active. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people stay stagnant too. It's like, so- Your first deal, when you went in, did you go in as like a JV partner or or how did that, how did that work in the beginning? I was, so I was going to those networking events and I didn't have any deals. What I did have was my finance background and the ability to model. I knew how to do financial models so I could model deals and build out investment summaries that happened to look aesthetically very, very good, but they weren't tangible. They weren't actual deals. It was me modeling things as examples and then showing up with investment summaries instead of the generic business card and then showing that around the table. And that created like talking points for us. And so people were like, oh, he's the guy that's always coming in with these investment summaries, right? And, you know, investment summaries are just fancy reports with colors, right? And then some charts and some numbers. Uh, you can generate them online using a house flipping spreadsheet or, you know, whatever. Uh, your audience chooses to use. There's dozens of options, but that positioned me differently amongst the collective. And then a deal came up, a broker had a deal and remembered me, remembered me as the guy that knows how to model deals and is always modeling deals and brought me that opportunity. And that was the first deal. That's how I came across it. And I wound up because I was so adamant about the numbers and having the models and doing it, the lender in the room also took notice. So the broker has the opportunity, the uh, lender sponsor at the event noticed, and then I'm the guy there that's like, I'll put this all together, right? And then I'll get the tradesman and we'll do the project. And so it became very much a team effort. And that broker and I went on to do a lot of business together. That lender and I are still in business together, seven, six, seven years later. That's how it evolved. It was very organic. That's amazing. But I love that you brought something different to the table. Mm-hmm. you know, like the investment summaries and you stuck out and basically you manifested things. I feel like when you create those investment summaries, it's like, you're talking about something very specific mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the opportunities came up. Yeah. And that's, that's what I encourage a lot of my students to do now. If you're going to go differentiate yourself somehow, you know, if you look at the business cards that are getting passed around at the REI events, they all have the same logo. They all have the same weird looking like swooshy. We buy houses logo in the top left. Because everybody's using the same uh, canned stock photography. So be different. Bring an investment summary. I actually don't take business cards anymore to events. Not that we go to many events in the pandemic, but I'll take a copy of my book. That's my business card now. You know, And that comes with time. I know not everybody has a book that they can use as a business card, but it doesn't cost you anything to create an investment summary for the type of deal you would buy. Totally. So tell me about your book, Gabe. Yeah, so it's <laughs> the flip tips book over my shoulder. The first three years doing rehabs, 
I documented every mistake I made. Like visually, I took a picture of the mistake so I wouldn't forget it. And then the lesson learned beneath it. And when I got to a hundred mistakes, I compiled them all into a book. And that's what I give my students. That's what I give out at networking events. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistakes that Gabe made that I can avoid simply by flipping through the pages. And that's it. And seeing what he did wrong, seeing the picture of it and seeing the lesson learned. And so, yeah, I call it flip tips and yeah, a hundred things uh, not to do essentially. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that Gabe. I love that. That's so creative and awesome. Cause I mean, I, I can't tell you how many mistakes have been made in the process. My God, learning hundreds of thousands of mistakes. And that's mm -hmm. invaluable. Honestly, that's invaluable. So speaking of mistakes and challenges, what has been some of your biggest challenges, either personally or professionally in the game? So personally, we could go down a rabbit hole, but professionally, what I'd wished I had done sooner was appreciate and understand the value of team and particularly A players and how important it is to scale because a lot of us like to operate in silos as entrepreneurs. And even with food service and the restaurant, my partner and I did the 13, 16 hour days for years. If we had sought and aligned ourselves, sought out and aligned ourselves with A players sooner, we would have one, retained our sanity, but we would have scaled faster. And doing it this time, like in real estate, I quickly realized I want to delegate and elevate. I want to identify like the things that I'm the best at. And I want to elevate into that role and just do more of that. And I want to fire myself and delegate everything that I'm not good at, like administration for sure. Like uh, first thing you need to do is fire yourself as admin and hire someone who that's their giftedness and empower them. And then you fire yourself as project manager. And then you fire yourself as marketing manager. And you quickly start to elevate and focus on the things that only you can do, or shouldn't say only you can do, but the things that you do best, which for me is, is really kind of finding and funding. Like that's my giftedness. That's where I need to operate at. And so that was a mistake. I moved too slow. I came to that realization slower than I should have. And now I delegate like a savage. I put as quickly as things come in, I forward them out to the right person. Like that, that's what I do you know, better than most, I think. That's awesome. Well, that's the only way to scale and to do it. Right. And so that was something I really struggled with, honestly, myself was because again, from the old school immigrant mentality where I can do it myself. Why do I need anybody else to, oh my God. And I didn't realize how ingrained in me that was. And then yes, I've like you, I found myself 13, 15, 16 hour days, and then trying to regain your sanity and, and put everything together. Like, it's like, how does that work? And that was one of the things that, well, before I got into real estate, you know, I met these real estate developers who were just like coming off golf course on like a Friday Meanwhile, and they're like, yeah, I'm taking the weekend off, probably go down to the vineyard and I don't know, maybe take Monday off as well. I'm like, how the hell do these people have time to do this stuff? And then, you know, they introduced to me the, the idea of like making money work for you and all these mm -hmm. things. And that's why I started to get interested in real estate. So I'm like, okay, there's obviously something here that people can have the time freedom. And I, and I quickly realized that being wealthy doesn't mean you have all the money. It means you have the time to mm -hmm. the freedom to do what you want to do. And that was my realization. You know, I've always thought, you know, money, money, money. And then it's like, okay, well, when you have the money, then what? If you don't have time to enjoy it, then what? What happens? Mm -hmm. So it's right. really interesting. It's really, really interesting. And delegation, the entrepreneur's hardest dream to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. To delegate and to feel comfortable and like, okay, this person can handle this thing 
and I don't have to worry about it. So that was a big thing for me too. I'm like trying to transition and I'm like, but I, I can do this best. You need to get out of your own head, honestly. And the challenge becomes leading people. Then like once you hire somebody, you're number one responsibility now becomes empowering and pouring into that person in whatever role you hire them into. So that way they can be successful at that and in turn buy you time so you can go do more. And in real estate, it's very forgiving because the spreads are pretty fat, right? Like right. On, on what we do. So if someone empowers you, if, if you empower someone to do whatever that role is that you delegated to them, and that affords you the freedom to go find just one more deal a year, that should cover their salary. You should have the peace of mind to go out and find more opportunities and not be worried about overhead. And in a lot of other businesses, that's not the case, right? In food, there's the cost of goods sold. There, there's a lot, like the margins are super thin. So in real estate, that's not, that's not the case. You know, just go do more deals. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And so Gabe, who, who or what has been your biggest inspiration throughout your journey, your life journey in general? Kind of break it up into different buckets. And so I have faith, family, fitness, finances, and freedom, the five Fs. And in each one of those buckets, each one of those silos is someone that are a handful of people a lot of times who I aspire to be like, and I try and, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, like hang out with five millionaires, you'll become the sixth. Like that applies in the finance bucket, but that person, they might not be the person I want to model in the family bucket or the faith bucket. And so I'm inspired by the people I spend time with for different reasons, right? Like with fitness, I'm wearing an Ironman hat. Like when it became time for me to get serious about my health and wellness and fitness, you better believe I got around a bunch of Ironmen because I wanted to be an Ironman, right? So those aren't necessarily the people I tap for financial advice, but they're definitely the people I lean into when it comes to things like discipline and consistency and resolve and like your health and your diet. So I'm inspired by people who are doing the things that I want to do at the level I want to do them at and can articulate to me in a way that makes sense how I too can do it. Like I want to model their success. They need to be able to not just do it, but then also explain to me or show me by example how I too can achieve that. And that's, that's what most inspires me. And those are the people I want to be around most. And that's the kind of person I want to be for others. Amen. I love that. I love that you mentioned, you know, that there's different silos and different buckets mm. right because you don't want your fitness guys to be like hey what do you guys think of this real estate deal they're really like, don't know man looks good like <laughs> you know <laughs> they're like yeah how about that back squat right like, yeah. like how about yeah. that mile time yeah. <laughs> which is good like i want to be pushed in different areas of my life by the right people like balance i believe to be really an illusion right balance is a myth you're not like the whole wheel of life if if your listeners have ever done the wheel of life exercise right the wheel's never perfect it's jagged because you're in seasons in your life, you're going to be strong in other areas and weak in some, and that's okay. And that's the same thing with your sphere. Like I have some amazing family men in my world that I lean into and learn a lot from, but they're terrible with their finances. I wouldn't, I would never ask, I wouldn't ask them how to balance a checkbook, right? But how to be a dad, how to show up at the games, how to be like a front row dad, like, yeah, for sure. I want to learn that from them. That's why I applied that model. And that's not, that's not me. That's Jesse Itzler. If you guys, you know, if your listeners follow him, Itzler or Aned Milet, Tom Bilyeu, these are, these are guys that inspire me. I watch what these guys do from a distance and then I, I replicate it. I love that. I love that. I, you are really a growth centric person. Like I feel like you gather inspiration from so many different 
sources, which is incredible based on the different arena of life, which is incredible. You know, yeah, it's one of the six basic human needs, right? It's certainty, uncertainty, significant significance, love and connection, growth and uh, contribution. And for me, it's growth and contribution. Those are the two. And at other times in my life, it was significance. Like I want money. I want to focus on making money or it was certainty. Like I want to know that like everything's going to go according to plan. I got real regimented. And over time, I've grown to understand like I want to always and ever be growing and I want to be giving back. I want to be contributing. And those two things are what keeps me going. I love it, Gabe. I just love your attitude and just your journey in general. And I mean, you were mentioning earlier, you were like, personally, I can go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. What has been one of your biggest challenges and how have you overcome it? Your biggest underdog moment, I want to say. Yeah. So I'm in recovery. I was a raging alcoholic for a decade. And so that's my personal struggle, my test, my message, right? Your test is your testimony. Your mess is your message. And I had to experience that. Uh, so I can now draw from that experience and serve others. So that's my underdog story was, and I'm sober for two years. Like I said, I'm doing Ironman. I'm building businesses. I'm helping students do the same. Like it just, it's my story. That's my journey, you know, and that, that's, that's the hand God dealt me for a reason. And so I, I wouldn't trade a minute of it. I'm blessed to be where I'm at. And yeah, we can dig as deep as you want into that. It's something I speak about openly. Yeah. I mean, that's entirely up to you, whatever you'd like to share. I mean, I know I, I have family members who've struggled with it and, and all of, and all of that. So I, I've walked down that journey. I feel like I've walked it with them, you know, yeah. throughout the process, yeah. you know, and then it's never, never easy, but when you're surrounded by the right support system, mm -hmm. you can make it through anything. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's it's not unlike those buckets and like aligning with individuals that are going to inspire you in each of those buckets. It's the same thing with recovery and sobriety. Like you got to be around people that are doing what it is that you want to do. And they have to be able to articulate to you how they did it in a way that you can model. And like AA does that very, very clearly. AA has got it spelled out. It's been spelled out for nearly a hundred years in the book. So if you want to do it, like, if you want what we have, you must do what we did, right? That's the way they say it. And so I didn't, I fought it for a long time. And then I just gave it a shot. I just said, if it works for others, it ought to work for me. Right. We as addicts think that we're, we're unique, right? We're terminally unique, right? You're so unique that you're going to, you're going to be unique all the way to the grave because you think you're special. In, in a sense, we are all special, but like we all have the same issues, you know, the same underlying conditions. And so I had to come to terms with that and do some real soul searching, do some deep work, the stuff that most people are avoiding because they'll drink or they'll watch TV or they'll binge eat or whatever. Everybody's got addictions, right? They come in a lot of forms. Some are just like more in your face. And, you know, I'm fortunate that mine was so in my face that eventually I had to do something about it. That's awesome, Gabe. I mean, that that's the number one thing though, is awareness. And now you're working on yourself to, to be better and do better. And and you're just going to continue that and inspire others along their journey as well, which is absolutely incredible. Because I mean, the things that you're up to now is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So what's what's going on in your world, Gabe? Because you, I mean, you're just, you've got new business models in the commercial realm, which is super incredible. And you've got your education. You've, I mean, you have a whole slew of things. So walk me through what, what's happening in, in your world in the next six to 12 months. So the commercial stuff's the most exciting thing I would say that we have going. We took what we did in the single fam space, we do value add construction heavy type rehabs. 
additions, add levels, even new constructions. We're doing it in single fam. I was thinking, well, if we can flip a house, why can't we flip a building? Why can't we flip an office building? And sure enough, you can. <laughs> you just you have to change the asset class, but bring the same skill set along. Clearly, your professional service providers, your engineer, your architect, your attorney, your CPA, those guys will likely not be the right partners, but you still in the skill set you and your team have developed, that's what you need. And so we transitioned into commercial and we got some new partners to help us because we don't know what we don't know. So we hire the right partners and now we're retrofitting existing commercial space to turn it into daycare. We're doing change of use. Specifically, we're doing daycare because two things are working in our favor. Commercial is just slaughtered, right? With, with COVID. So there's, there's no shortage of vacant commercial space. And in our state, a third of the daycare centers closed with COVID. And now as people are getting comfortable putting their kids back in school, there's, there's demand issues. There's supply issues. The there's waiting lists a year long to get kids into schools. So we're going to go and take on commercial space, fit it out and put daycare centers in there. And we're currently doing two of those and loving it and loving the scalability of the model. And all it took was just taking the blinders off and saying, hey, what are you really good at? And then how do you take that thing that you're really good at and kind of elevate it into a different asset class? And that's what I'm most excited about over the next six to 12 months is creating a space. And then there's, of course, there's the impact piece, the contribution piece. You get to create a container in which little people like grow into adults, right? Like Clearly, we're not taking them from two years old to 20 years old, but like they're sponges at that age. You want to create an environment where you can really impact children. That's where you're going to do it right at home, of course. But like this daycare concept is something that really speaks to me. So, yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. That's awesome. And you're still going to be doing events and you're going to be doing all Mm -hmm. that awesome stuff, too, in, in New Jersey area. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's talk about your education programs as well. Mm -hmm. So as we were doing the cosmetic to gut rehab, to addition, to add a level, to new construction kind of progression, people locally were taking note and were asking like, can I shadow you is is how it started. And then I would take an investor or two around with me, show them what we were doing. Eventually that became unsustainable. We wound up renting buses and then taking people around our projects. And then, oh, I loved what I saw. Uh, Can we do a deep dive that turned into a workshop? Then we just... Well, thanks to COVID, we couldn't do workshops. So we went virtual. We created a curriculum in Kajabi. So we have an online course that teaches the same thing we would have taught in our workshop. Then they take the course or they go to the workshop. They're like, now we want to align with you in kind of a done with you model. Can, can you coach us through the implementation of what you taught us? That turned into our accelerator coaching program. So the whole thing's really evolved very organically to the point where students in our mastermind have since starting, quit their jobs and are now full-time, right? This is my mandate as a coach and mentor is to see 50 people quit their jobs. And we're starting to see it happen now, right? Right through COVID when a lot of others backed off, most wholesalers stopped mailing. A lot of fix and flip guys went back to work or just stopped working. We didn't, we leaned in, my students and I leaned in and started doing bigger deals, more deals. And so we're seeing those guys and girls quit their jobs and go full-time. And that to me is, is, the pinnacle of what I do as a coach and mentor. That's incredible game. That's absolutely incredible. I just love the work that you're up to and your passion for it and just like redefining things constantly and like Mm -hmm. getting into this commercial space is going to be really cool to see you 
crush that out because, you know, the commercial space is, it's an open market right now. And commercial has not kept up with 21st century demand. I like to say, I'm like, you know, everything, everything is shifting. Everything is shifting. So it's going to be really cool to see how developers and investors take the commercial realm and kind of amplify it. So I'm pumped for that. And I'm pumped Mm -hmm. for your workshops and seminars and all that stuff. I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. I think 2022 is going to be a big year for that. You know, everyone's thirsty for the information, thirsty for the knowledge. I mean, now, especially with this great resignation, right? Mm-hmm. 10 million jobs are available out there, but everyone's searching for more. So I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's going to be an absolutely incredible year. Absolutely yes. incredible year. And I think more and more of your students will, will quit their jobs. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, what we, that's what we seek to have happen for them if it's what they want. If right. it's, hey, I want to do two or three deals a year uh, to supplement my income, and I like the security that comes from getting the paycheck every two weeks, that's good too. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we like that there's folks like that, just like we like that there's folks that want to go full-time and burn the ships. There has to be a blend. If everybody was burning the ships, imagine what mayhem it would be in our world if everybody was trying to do it, which at one time they were. It wasn't that long ago that we were bidding in competition with every local like dentist whose brother was a handyman and the two of them are at the like courthouse steps bidding against you to do a full gut rehab. Like what do these guys know about gut rehabbing houses? But that's the market and and I'm a capitalist. And so I love to see that, you know, I love to see the free market do its thing. A lot of people will do one deal and never do another because they had no business doing the first one. And they find out that they don't, they don't do it. It doesn't work out like they, they thought it would on HGTV and that's fine, right? Like hire a coach. <laughs> And and it'll go better, but regardless, like I, I love it. I love free market capitalism. I love being a part of it, and and I love real estate. So thankful and blessed to be doing this. And thankful and blessed that that you're in this realm and that you're teaching everyone how how to do it. Because truthfully, you can do real estate as part time or as full time as you want to. You can invest in a fund if you really want to be completely passive or own multifamilies. You know, there's so many different avenues, and it's incredible. It's incredible mm-hmm. game. I just be, love what you're up to. You know, on that point. I want to make sure I say like part-time effort will yield part-time results. Right. And so when guys and girls come into our world and they're like, we love what you're doing. We hate our job. I quickly ask like, how much do you make? Right. Like, and it makes people uncomfortable in our world. We talk about that, you know, Yeah. but in the, in the W2 world, that's taboo. But yeah. I ask them not because I want to shame them or anything like that. I just want to understand how close are they to being paid into a corner, right? Like, and here in the Northeast, that number is about a quarter million bucks. So if a guy or a girl comes to me and says, I make 250 and I want to quit and I want to go full time and do fix and flip, I have to kind of sit with them and say, listen, you would need a runway, right? Like you're 12 to 18 months from the payday you need to consider quitting. You can't burn the ships, right? Especially if you have people at home that depend on you. But someone comes to me making 80 to 85 a year, like, hey, we can get you out of that job in six months. Like if you, right, if you do the work, part-time effort will yield part-time results though. If you want to go full-time, you got to give it full-time effort um, and then you'll get the full-time result. So I hope that helps like clarify for the audience because I don't want to talk anyone out of doing whatever it is that they feel compelled to do. Absolutely. I always say this. I'm like, you know, at least consider real estate as some sort of different stream of revenue for you. Mm -hmm. If you can't, you know what I mean? Like if you can't leave that job, at least invest in something, right? Like, because you can make at least some sort of return, build a different stream for yourself, you know, but if you do want to quit full-time, I I love your strategy. I think that that's absolutely fantastic. You got to be realistic with the goals and not just be like, I quit. And then it's yeah. like, oh, crap, then what? You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and, reverse engineer it. Like, and then say, okay, I need to make this amount of money to justify quitting my job. All right, well, that means that you need to do three additions, three big scale gut renovations or additions in the next 12 months to get there. That means that you'll have to send out X amount of mail every week to get this many leads, to get this many appointments, to ultimately get that many contracts, right? Okay. To do those deals. And so I, I get very tactical with them too. And, uh, and then it sobers people up. They're like, I don't realistically have the marketing budget for that. So, okay, well, that's why we're having this conversation. <laughs> right. No, I love that you do that. It keeps everything sort of on a tangible front, right? And a realistic and logistical manner. And I think that that's absolutely fantastic game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. And question for you, what, what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I waited too long to do a lot of things. Like we were talking about hiring and bringing on the A players and delegating. I feel like earlier I was slow to take action and older me would tell younger me, like you have a lot less to lose now than you will later. So now is the time to fail. Like take action, fall on your face, get back up. If I had done that, I caution to think where I might be, right? Losing a decade to the drinking and to corporate and to just inaction. But again, I'm blessed to be where I'm at. And my journey is my journey for a reason. But my older self would tell my younger self, you have nothing to lose. What are you, what are you waiting for? Go, try, fail, just stay the course, fail, get up, fail forward, fail forward. And you will not lose unless you quit. If you are relentless in your pursuit and every failure is just a learning opportunity, there is no such thing as quitting, right? Like I, I don't even know what that is. So I just relentlessly move forward progress. And that's what I would have told myself. And then my younger self probably wouldn't have listened because I would have been 22 and I would have known everything and I would have still done shit the same way I did it anyway. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's the advice I would give my younger self. And if there's anybody listening that is in that 20 to 25, 28 age range, you have nothing to lose. Like do it now. Amen. I love it, Gabe. And now where, where can everybody find you, my friend? So I'm at Real Gabe De Silva on socials. Uh, that's still me. I'm still the one in the DMs. So if you find me on Instagram at Real Gabe De Silva, message me, it'll be me. And I'll be getting those messages and I'll reply to every single message. I encourage people to go to YouTube and check out my docu-series, The Build. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. It's a series of 16 episodes where we had someone uh, follow us with a video camera and document day in the life style, run and gun like what it is that we do every day as real estate investors. And it's really good. I send people there first because it doesn't cost anything. And then they watch it and they come to the realization that, you know what? Like, I really don't want to do that. Like, that looks like a lot of work what Gabe does. I don't want to do that. And then they'll just lend to us instead. Or they'll watch and they'll get fired up and they'll say, I do want to do that. How do I learn more? And then we have courses and workshops and things like that where they can go and learn more. But uh, that's where I would suggest they start. Go to the YouTube, watch the build, uh, message me or my team on any of the platforms we're there and we're active and we're, and we're always engaging. I love it, Gabe. Thank you so much for being here today. You are a total rock star, my friend. It was such a privilege and an honor. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of underdog head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>